Hello and welcome to Smash Hit Sports. I'm your host, Cody. We are having an absolutely electric college football season. We are halfway through. It's been nothing short of incredible, but even better than the college football season we've had so far is the guest I have today, Eric Froton at CF Froton on Twitter. Everything will be linked, you know, below the video, but he is the lead of college football and NFL draft analysis for NBC Sports Edge. This man knows more about like a G5 team's backup tight end than I than most people know about the Heisman contenders. He is that incredibly knowledgeable. Eric, welcome to the show, man. It is great to have you. Man, that's quite a setup, Cody. I don't know if I can quite possibly live up to all that, but uh, I sincerely appreciate it and I'm excited because I mean, we uh, we hung out a couple times real life. You know, we we got to hang out at the Fantasy Football Expo over the past two years, and which is a really cool experience in itself. Because and I don't know how you feel because I didn't get to talk to you afterwards, but like that whole event ended up going like from where it was in twenty one to where it was in twenty two. It was a completely different experience, it's, wasn't it? It's unbelievable the amount of people that were able to come this year and caught, like content creators across the fantasy space that were able to come together were really, really incredible. Um, It's a good time. It is a good time. If you were in Canton, Ohio around August or around that area, um, I suggest you come out because it is absolutely bananas. Um, Yeah, I don't get to, I had to work Monday at 6am, so I didn't get to stay uh, for the karaoke and all that jazz, but I might have to take the day (laughs) off. I'm very sorry about that. I know, I might have to take the Monday off next year. I'm hoping they incorporate it maybe into the the regular festivities next year. Maybe it, we can have a, a karaoke type think, thing. Look, at this point, it should be. We've included football. We, we might as well include talking into a microphone. It seems like those are the two best things that, that we do. So, Exactly. And, and no Achilles or ACLs are, are going to go down in the making of the karaoke, though my hamstring did last year when I did a David Lee Roth scissor, scissor kick. <laughs> and that uh that took down my hamstring for two months i, I had to do plenty of therapy on that me. is that's tough especially considering we played flag football too that's the karaoke's what took you out that that's nuts oh that, that was last year oh no no oh, okay flag football, okay yeah i was ready and we we ran a rep against each other a little practice rep which uh cody completed successfully he was able to i played d cody uh plato gave me a little uh little juke and then to the outside and while i i tried to wrap around i couldn't I mean, you gotta understand cody's a big dude he's like six three two fifteen probably yep. somewhere there right? yep. nailed it nailed it so like and i'm six three two i'm 200 pounds but though like trying i couldn't get around him you good he beat me on the rep hey not only do we talk the talk about football we walk the walk too we're out here running around we we're getting it done we're getting it done <laughs> Oh, that man. That was a lot of fun, man. That so, was a good time, absolutely. I know we talked about college football at the Expo. We're ha- about halfway through the college football season now. I'm going to give you a second to brag on yourself. What is the thing that you were the most correct on coming into this season, the one take? Oh, easy. Easy peasy. Ohio State wide receiver and future, hopefully first-round pick, if these teams have any sanity, Emeka Igbuka. I was taking him everywhere. I, I took him everywhere. Everywhere. Like, we have a, a champion series is what it's called that Greg Brandt from Debbie Watch puts together of uh, a bunch of the college fantasy football, you know, content producers and such. And I, my my share total out of 12 drafts is, is I think I'm like, you know, eight or nine out of those. That's crazy. 12. 
I have them I'm in my home league. I have them in, in the CFF site. Yeah, I have at least two of those three best balls that I did. So like, um, and I, I went and cut a couple videos and, and, you know, behind the scenes to the guys sort of a thing where I talked about Ibuka and how, oh, all of a sudden you're all taking them now. Like I've been taking him for the past two hey, months, and I talk and talk. talk you got to. It's like, oh, you're taking my Ibuka now, right? So, absolutely, Emeka Ibuka is a superstar. Uh, I knew it coming in. It's only been, I mean, it helped having Jackson Smith and Jigba get hurt in terms of giving him opportunity. But he was going to be on the outside. He was going to get regular reps anyways. It was happening. It's just people were treating him like a number three instead of, you know, just because they were just. Depth charts aren't as settled as we think in the offseason. And every time like you reach around the halfway point and you just look at who the leading rushers, receivers are, it's like this is completely different than what we looked at as a top 10 during the season because it's college and it's 131 teams and so much can happen, and which what makes CFF and C2C leagues and Devi – and Dynasty as well, you know, so exciting is that you, you can be invested in those players as they come up. Yeah, and it, it's one th- the Ohio State wide receivers as a Notre Dame fan make me so mad because it's like, oh, well, Olave, like they had Olave and Garrett Wilson. It's like, yeah, but he might, they might have been not have been the best wide receiver on their team like because of Jackson Smith and Jigma. And then Jackson Smith and Jigma goes down. But like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Ibuka, it's like, what? Where do they keep? And they have three more five stars behind them. It's Absolutely. unbelievable. I, I'm, I'm over it, man. As a Notre Dame fan, I, how am I supposed to keep up with that? It is what it is. Um, yes. Now I, we let you brag. We let you brag. But I gotta ask, what's your biggest miss? Because we all have them. If you make takes about football on the internet, you're gonna have misses. Where, where, what did we get wrong this year? My biggest miss. Geez, that's a pretty good question. Uh, I will say, you know, to this point, up until this past week, it was Quentin Johnston. He had a hell of a week, though. uh, Well, up until this past week, it was Quentin Johnston. The first five games they had, he did, or four games, he didn't cross 41 yards. I don't even think he had a touchdown. He was just completely ineffectual uh, in pretty much every way, shape, or form. Otherwise, I would say, you know, uh, I'll go with a tight end here. I thought Isaac Rex, BYU, who had 10 touchdown receptions in 2020 and looked awesome, but he was hurt in 2021. I thought he was going to come right back out. Jaron Hall, who I love as a QB prospect. I think great. Absolutely love him. Absolutely. You know, pro uh, baseball drafty, like, acumen. I think he's got it. He handles pressure really well, too. Anyways... I thought that rising tide was going to continue to lift his boat and have him take over a role that Matt Bushman had, who was another guy I loved Matt Bushman. His tape coming out of BYU was just amazing. I, I mean, just you watch his hands. Very, very few guys in any walk of football have hands like Matt Bushman, but he, he tore an Achilles right before the, uh, you know, his first season. Anyways, I thought he was going to be so much better, and I took him as a tight end in a lot of best balls. And the problem with best balls is, you know, you have that tight end position and you only have so many spots and you're going to get, we want to get as many running backs as possible to deal with attrition. Obviously you want as many bites of the apple at quarterback. So like tight end sort of gets pushed to the back. So I took him in enough leagues where like you take him and then 
he hasn't been. He had a like a touchdown catch to like you know, but very low volume stuff, and that infects your whole best ball roster because you can't replace oh, those yep. guys because they're on for the whole season. So that is, I think, in terms of the miss that I've had that's best been most impactful to my rosters. That's been actually pretty impactful, even though it was a player that I was taking like you know twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth round. Tight ends, it seems at every level, are just so hard to predict. And, and you see it like volume is king, but seeing usage vary even from week to week based on game plan, it's it's tough. It, it's the, in my opinion, it's the toughest position to predict in, in fantasy football. Um, it was, except for this year. I was very excited this week because my number one tight end, all right, coming out uh, of the 2021 class, I. Absolutely love this guy, but he didn't get a chance to go through the testing process because he hurt his lower leg. I think it was, you know, ankle slash whatever. Cade Otten had 43 yards this week in week five from Tom Brady, and that kid is going to be a startable weekly tight end in fantasy football. Get ready at the pro level, Cade Otten. So I do love him. I could predict him, but yeah, otherwise, yes. Yeah, he's a guy that, that I am lucky enough to have a lot of shares of because I listen to your sage wisdom. Um, right. Gotta love it. Hey, Thank I gotta get my brown nose points in here when I can. Um, You're the man, Cody. It is, hey, I do what I do. Um, so I need to talk about Texas A&M. I got to vent because I love chaos in college football. And Texas A&M had an opportunity to produce chaos this weekend. And Jimbo gets fourth down, or, la- or it was the last play of the game, uh, regardless because of time. But just one of the most confusing play calls I've ever seen, just a, a quick five yard out on the outside in, in a game where your passing game has not been great all day. What are we doing with Jimbo? And is he on the hot seat? Because I... $95 million is a lot of money to play a coach and not produce. Yeah, even for the oil barons that support the Texas A&M team, I don't think they can quite swallow the $95 million investment they made this offseason. What I think is more likely is, I mean, there will be staff heads rolling. And we all know how bad the offense has been. And like you said, predictable, mundane. You know, boring, archaic, yeah, antiquated. How many? How do you? Where do you want me to go? Anyway, we've all seen it, and uh, definitely, I think the, the OC. I, I, his name eludes me. Uh, it was the same guy that was at uh, that Georgia that Kirby Smart had to get out to bring in Munkin. He was one of the OC uh, Dicky. Anyways, uh, no, no, but that's what Phil Steele is for. Anyways. Uh, the uh, regardless, I, I definitely think it's a complete changeover at the uh, coordinator level, and likely with several position groupings on the offensive side of the ball. Like he's going to have to clean house in order to throw su- a bone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Daryl Dickey absolutely is the OC, and let's go. The, uh, Co-OC. Well done. Well, well done. And no, he's he's the straight OC. Player. So, yeah, Dickey, I mean, he did such a great job at Memphis, too. Like, I, I, he was one of the, the guys, like him, obviously, Norvell, who's at Florida State, that had to, those, those great, great 
legendary Memphis offenses he was the architect of. And they but, were dynamic. Uh, like that they were like they yeah, were offenses they were awesome. that they were offenses that just relied on like having the better players. They were creative. They looked good. They made like Tony Pollard, Daryl Henderson, um, Antonio Gibson. Gibson, in, in Antonio that, Gibson. Look at how he was used. They were great. And, and yeah, I'm just stunned to see how mundane it's looked. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it. It was terrible. And even watching that game, you know, um, the only reason why they're in that game is because of four turnovers. From Alabama, they lost three fumbles. It's like what yep. the the luck involved in losing, you know, those three fumbles they put on the ground. All of it. it's just what what that's just how it is. Backup quarterback couldn't only threw for 111 yards. They couldn't throw, yeah, you know, hardly at all. Um, the only big play they really made was that 35 yard cross to to Jermaine Burton. That you know, frankly the. The safety completely took a terrible line on that, and he should have been able to at least tackle him as soon as he caught it. But he he jumped it early. It was a bad, bad play. But yeah, great. So they make one bad play in the defensive backfield, but then you know I think Alabama ran for two eighty eight. Yeah, Jameer. They Gibbs. were one dimensional. Jameer Gibbs looking good. He's I mean, special. He's come coming in coming into the year, it was it was. I had a hard time looking at him and saying. All right, look at the archetype of the Alabama running back, the Derrick Henrys, the Ingrams, yeah, Brian Robinson thumpers. last year, Najee Harris. 220-pound badasses, you know, just like guys that will wear you out. And it's it's totally against the archetype. And it's like, is he going to be handling 20 carries a game? Like, he didn't get that at Georgia yeah, Tech. Like, no. he was spelled. Jordan Mason went and, and got a lot of reps. And even last year, they didn't give... I don't understand why, but Jeff Collins is fired now. Yeah, So, good. Makes sense. Good. Adios, amigo. So, um, he ran freaking Jameer Gibbs out of town. What, what, a, what a terrible, terrible job they did transitioning from the, the option. Anyways. Yep. But you got... I, I got to be honest. You know, with here at Alabama, you see him weaving through the line. He isn't breaking... He isn't, like... He doesn't run with power. It's, it's not going to be his game, but... The comps, Alvin Kamara is is the comp, which for every every 200-pound guy that tries to go to the NFL and it, be Alvin Kamara, there's a graveyard of guys of who weren't nobody's. Alvin Kamara. Yeah. Of who weren't Alvin Kamara. It's just so hard to survive and, and thrive on a fantasy-relevant level at that weight to be there at that level of snaps. So, um, but he's, that being said... He looks great. He's so explosive. He is he's oh. special in terms of explosiveness. Special when he gets it to the second level, when he gets it out in space. Um, they were doing the extended handoffs to him basically in the early part of the season. He wasn't even yeah. getting carries until the previous game against Arkansas. And I, I think part of that is acknowledging that you don't want to give a guy 300 touches in college football. like, And, you know, they, knowing that they didn't need him. but. Yeah. He's looked great up to up to this point. He's a guy that you know if you're playing dynasty fantasy football and you have the number one overall pick, you're keeping your eye on for sure. Um, let, let's keep on uh, college football running backs. Outside of B. John Robinson, outside of Jameer Gibbs, who has impressed you the most amongst that player group? Are we talking 2023 class? Because those are both 2023s, or just in terms of 
Uh, potential draft-worthy running backs, I think, have increased their stock. Let's do potential draft-worthy running backs. Who who are we liking? I think, for me, from where my evaluation was before the season into where it is now, a guy who has climbed up my ranks, I just took him in a recent draft with uh, the Debbie Royale guys, uh, is Raheem Sanders for Arkansas. Some of the runs, like first off, he's 225. You know, he's, he's right there. He's what you want. He's the 6'1", 225. He's, he's not a plotter. Like you, you see his burst. He's got real deal jets to be able to kick it into gear at the second level and, and extend or at least maintain, you know, uh, a lead on trailing defenders. You've seen that. But what's really, I mean, he is running with power that few guys have that still have the ability to hit the explosive runs like he can, you know, 30, 40 yards downfield because good luck on tackling him. He's just running right through high-caliber D1 SEC defenders when they try to get high on him. And he's rocked up and thick enough and still agile enough to be able to make, you know, a, a nice one cut and be able to, to get an edge on him and create bad angles. So I just think that in, in terms of the full physical package that he brings to the table, he, from the 2024 class, he's he's leapfrogged uh, Braylon Allen for me, who even though I really like it, I still think he's a top five caliber mm-hmm. back. I think he falls out of that maybe three, you know, RB3 range. Uh, out of that and falling into, you know, the five range because he, he, I don't see the second gear and the ability to hit the home run like I see with Sanders. So um, that's that's who I'd probably go with. Yeah, and, and Sanders is a guy that the advanced metrics love too. Like when you see the guys who've really excelled with, um, it, I forget the, I saw it on Twitter today, but there was something about like expected yards gained with offensive line blocking and then like actual yards gained. It, it's Jameer Gibbs and then Raheem Sanders is right there. He's looked great. Um, a guy that, you know, I would love if he ended up on my NFL team. Um, and quite frankly, Arkansas's fa- Arkansas fans um, should love as well. Hopefully he gets a little more run than K.J. Jefferson as a – his – Arkansas's offense frustrates me. It is what it is. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But I – so – we talked briefly about Georgia Tech and that head coaching position. If you were a prime head coaching candidate for college football, say like you just got fired from the Carolina Panthers and there are what, five open college football positions right now. If you were the head coach and you got to, you've got to pick of the litter. Where, where would you go? Who, where is your ideal college football head coaching job right now? Sure, the easy one would be Wisconsin. However, I think, you know, we need to see what happens there at Wisconsin because they won their first game under D.C. Jim Leonard, who is obviously everybody who's watching this knows who Jim Leonard is from Wisconsin legend. From Wisconsin, obviously, Wisconsin safety, All-American, absolute legend. You know, so, like, the thing is about Wisconsin, they like – they're homegrown guys, you know. Because yep, like they did the same thing with Barry Pat Alvarez thing, and then you know, Chris was a Wisconsin guy too. They they brought in like he and those are the guys who have done the best. Obviously, Gary Anderson did great. He was an outside guy, but um, 
you know, they like the local guys, the, the homegrown boys. They like to know who's coming in. So uh, I, I do kind of favor Jim Leonard for that job. So while I would say it's Wisconsin, uh, I will refrain from naming that for maybe this nameless ex-Baylor Temple head coach who might have been <laughs> fired from the Carolina Panthers. But um, I would say for, for that scenario, it's got to be Nebraska because... Dude, Nebraska could what 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 could be you know like if you could, you know, be what it is in Nebraska like that would have to be it because look at the other jobs right Arizona State Pac-12 and they don't have a home. What is the Pac-12? What will it be? Is the better question. We don't know. Uh, and then uh, Carl Durrell, adios in uh, Colorado. Uh, it, it, that is nobody wants that job. bottom tier. <laughs> yep. That is that is the word on everybody's list. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that you know the fact that we have an ironed out Nebraska's in the Big Ten. You know the Big Ten is the number two conference. It's obviously the SEC. Fair enough. But as an NBC employee who just you know as of next year will be broadcasting the after dark Big Ten games. Uh, going forward, awesome. and, and is now invested going forward in that with USC and UCLA coming over, come on down. That uh, I will say that you know they are the clear second super conference, and that also bears out if you look at uh, from an NFL draft perspective. Obviously, the SEC sending the most players to the NFL, but then it's the number two is a clear Big Ten, and then yep. it's everybody else. So, yep. like in terms of power of teams with Ohio State, you know, with USC coming in and UCLA. Power of teams, strength of teams, strength of player, you know, um, potential at least going in the NFL, all that. Being in the Big Ten, uh, being in a previously iconic football market, that would be my choice, though. Being a, uh, you know, a new uh, SoCal resident for the last 17 years, Arizona State does have a little bit of appeal. But they're in the Big 12. So I tell you what. I mean, the Pac-12. The, and that's... That's the most damning part of it because if you were to ask me like five, six years ago, I probably would put Arizona State over Nebraska. Um, this is obvious. This is going to be me showing my youth. Yeah. Nebraska was never good in my lifetime, or at least not in my <laughs> college football remembering days. Um, the Husker powers of the 90s, I was still, you know, drinking milk from a bottle at that point. So doesn't really invoke a whole lot of passion or excitement for me. But I understand that there's a ton of tradition there. Um, and Nebraska, like Nebraska football is Nebraska. Like there is no NFL team. There is no baseball. There is oh, yeah. no, it is Nebraska Cornhusker football, go big red. Um, so talk about a passionate fan base. I don't think you're going to have a more passionate fan base, um, out of the available jobs than, than Nebraska. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, and, and we're talking, talking conferences a little bit. I think we have a hunch who the best team in the Pac-12 is. I think we have a hunch who the best team in the SEC. Well, the, we know who the top two dogs in the SEC are. We know who the best team in the Big Ten is. The Big 12. It's been chaos through and through. But it's been good. Like, there isn't a bad team in the Big 12. Like, there's no team on the Big 12 that you're saying, like, oh, yeah, that's an easy win. Like, maybe West Virginia? Like, I, I, I'm not ready to say maybe. it about Oklahoma yet. Yeah. Yeah, like, maybe. But... The fact that there's no 
Kansas of, you know, 2013 through 2021 yeah. in there. You it, know, there's, there's definitely no layups. You're right. Like, you're going to have to come and bring it every time you go in and play someone. Who who would you pick to win this conference as, as it stands? Because we have two undefeated teams playing off this weekend in TCU and Oklahoma State. We just had the Red River rivalry last week. Where Who is, in your mind, coming out on top of the Big 12? Well, in the preseason, in my preseason Big 12 preview, uh, I actually took Kansas State plus 1,500 as my favorite dark Ooh. horse pick <laughs> to win the Big 12. So, like, I, I am, I, I did take a piece of that, you know, through a through a twenty dollar bill at it. Um, but so I, I am, you know, from a from a selfish point of view, I am kind of hoping that Kansas State does, but. Um, if I'm, you know, evaluating the market from just standing here at this point as we sit from a halfway point right now, I'd have to say the team I think is the best team is, is Texas right now. I think it's, they're clearly the best team. The best on offense, best on defense. They've solved their tackling woes. They were a horrible tackling team the past two years. It was oh, almost yeah. almost comical, like, how many important open field tackles that led to huge plays Cause them games, you know, and this year they've been so much tighter, so much better on that front. Um, and defensively in general, they're top 20 in, in so many of the key metrics, yards per play, explosive, limiting explosiveness, um, you know, points per drive. They're, they've been excellent on that front defensively, way better than I expected them to be. And the problem is they already dumped a game in conference to Texas, Texas Tech. Tech. Because the the mullet master, Quinn Ewers, was injured. And they had to play Hudson mid-card. So, you know, <laughs> when, when you, it's a, such a drop in talent level when you're going from Ewers to card that it's, you know, you look at the difference last game and how they were, that offense was humming. And even against Alabama that first half, oh my God, Ewers. That's great. A, it was everything I knew was coming, you know, from him. I, everything I wanted to see. And I am a, a full dyed in the wool believer. Like, I'm in. I'm in on QN Ewers. Anyways, so um, with them, I think it is. But. You have the added fact that they already dumped a game to Texas Tech, and they have such a tough schedule still left to play against all these great teams. So that's a factor, you know. But then you got TCU and Oklahoma State, both of them complete, totally undefeated, and they played this week. So one of them is going to dump and get a loss, and then even that out, so you won't have two teams that have are undefeated going forward that that Texas has to climb in front of. So like that's an issue for me too. Um, so. I think I'm calling. I think I think TCU beats Oklahoma State. It's really been bothering me. It's been bothering me, and it's early, you know. Like, geez, this is what I I could I could change my. I'm gonna be. I I I looked this over hard today. You know, like I wrote up on it on the column, and the one thing that I know, here's what I do know: there's gonna be plenty of points in that game. Like the the over under sixty eight and a half. Neither team's going to stop either of them. Oklahoma State last year was coached by Jim Knowles, who's now the defensive coordinator of Ohio State, and has turned around that defense. Everything we said was that this Oklahoma State defensively is what separates them from the rest of the Big 12. Because the rest of the Big 12 didn't play defense except for Oklahoma State. Well, now, I don't know if that's – I don't think that's the case. 
No, they lost Knowles. Some of their key assistants who were underneath him, he took with him, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, you want to go to Ohio State? Yeah, later Stillwater. So, you know, that the scheming, totally different. And then a bunch of guys went to the NFL, a couple guys went to Ohio State, and now they're, it, like, they're one of the least experienced defenses in the country coming in. And this isn't a reloading situation. Like, they took time. They needed four years when mm. Knowles was there yep. to cultivate those guys, bring all those guys in, coach them up, get those three stars into the point where you have a top five defense nationally like they had last year. They were awesome. But uh, now you look at what they have, it's, it's, it's night and day. They're actually 110th ranked in terms of their passing defense That's uh, in the country. I would have never How, guessed like, that. That turnaround went from 3rd to 110th, you know, and now you're playing TCU, Sonny Dykes' offense, and also the number one ranked rushing offense in terms of team performance. Bet you didn't know that. Why would you think TCU, number one ranked rushing team? Kendry Miller, who would have been another answer of mine, if it weren't for Raheem Sanders, you would have said a guy that you liked. Hey, Kendry Miller led the entire nation in yards after contact last year with like 5.6 or something like that's That's leaping ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> 5.6. Like you led everybody, right, coming into the season. And it was funny, in the offseason you heard like, oh, well, there's Amani Bailey, a transfer from Louisiana, and there's Amari right. Dermarcado. Dude, I, I wasn't buying that. Um, Kendry Miller is legit. Big 12 guys don't get a lot of the, you know, like the same love as we discussed with the Big 10 and the, and the SEC, but he's got chops. I think he's real. So, um, if I have to take, like, I, I think Texas is the best team, but they're a game down. So, uh, Texas or TCU are, are, are my, is my call, but I will go with Texas. I think they're the best team, even though they're a game down. Selfishly, I am so, so happy that that is, ex- that was your answer because I put two bets in to win the, the big 12 and it's Texas, and then I put pizza money on TCU. I TCU was one of my favorite teams coming into the season. I hammered their win total over six and a half. Um, it's looking like great. Oh, dude, that win total, huh? Six and a half. I, I, I mean, was, had a nice little cushy off conference slate. That it that was the like thing, right? Opening against Colorado, right, yeah. and uh, yeah, I felt really good about that their one. Their little brother SMU, they sort of rub their head and then throw yep. them on their way. Yeah, well, like, and right, Sunny Dykes, little revenge game yeah. action. Is great. Yeah, going in there just stomping on them. Right. And then, uh, yeah, Colorado. They played Colorado in the up. It might as well be an FCS team. Yeah. You know, oh. playing Colorado. We, like, smoked them. Ran all over them. Their passing disgust. offense, re- like, oh, just run yeah. the wing tee at this point. Their passing offense is putrid. Putrid. Really bad. I, I, I actually took Daniel Arias. He's the one guy that they actually throw to in that offense. I took his under one week and it went over on like a a garbage time, just just a Late sideline one on one prayer jump ball, and he got it. And I was just like, oh, God damn you! Hey, oh. we can't win them all. We can't win them all. But you you seem to win most. Uh, I, I, I hate couldn't that. hate this offense anymore. I can't even bet your unders. It's tough. Like it's and, tough. Yeah, you know. We got so we hit on awesome call there, yeah, and and we hit on Oklahoma State TCU. There are a ton of great games this weekend. I think we have what six six ranked matchups. Oh, I I can't. There there are what two two top ten matchups because we get Michigan Penn State, we get Bama Tennessee. It's it's beautiful, and this is 
Like when I'm I gonna go hit the, the weights. I'm in a great workout. I know you're obviously a workout guy. You're you're bigger. You're bigger than I am. You're like my size when I was ten. You know, fifteen years younger when I was your age. Like that's what I was looking for. Fair, fair. I'm still. I'm gonna hit it like I'm you. Like I'm Cody tonight. I'm so excited about these matchups. I I can't wait. <laughs> and these are teams that like. I didn't. I didn't know what to expect from Tennessee coming this year. I knew Hendon Hooker was good, but I didn't know how good. I knew that Sean Clifford was Sean Clifford, and it's a coin flip of which Sean Clifford you were going to get week to week last year. Turns out he, we've been on the right side of the coin all season for Sean Clifford. So, Very what do we expect? Let's start with that one. Penn State, Michigan. Do we expect Sean Clifford to continue to be Sean Clifford? Because Michigan's defense is different they're they are incredible against the pass incredible against the pass. incredible against everything frankly i i just i i think michigan's i mean in terms of top to bottom it's going to be tough for penn state to compete with what michigan's bringing on the table because frankly their defenses look penn state's d oh i can't they're awesome joey they're porter jr defense. joey porter Absolutely. jr has been it, uh, it's very rarely where you can isolate a defensive back and been like, he has been a difference maker. Derek Stingley Jr. was one of those guys. Joey Porter Jr. seems to be the next one of those guys. He has looked phenomenal so far this season. Yeah, he's a big kid, too. Like Porter, he's physical. He, he's, he plays with an edge. I, I like that, you know. I mean, there's somebody who's, you know, an undersized power forward on the basketball court, still goes out and <laughs> loves loves rattling people's cages underneath the basket it's i appreciate that anyways uh but they're you know both defenses they're absolutely comparable so what it's coming down to for me is can penn state advance the ball against michigan's d that look they're both top 10 i mean everything every can they do it michigan's offense i know can do it all right they are top 20 in epa Points per drive, 56% success rate, which is ridiculous. They don't have Cade McNamara behind there anymore. Ooh. They finally, mercifully, he got injured, which, you know, no offense, but, like, it's Wally Pip time. It, you know, like, you've, you've passed over, it's JJ JJ time. McCarthy was just better. But absolutely, it's better, it's better for everybody involved. And it was, it actually, you know, there was no Palace coup. They were, you didn't have to do the, the A2 brew tie, giving Caesar the... The long knife in the in the kidney, you know, by by putting out McNaught, uh, McKay Depatcha, he got hurt. It's like okay, well, yep. I'm sorry he's hurt, but it's like it just worked itself out, and now it's McCarthy, and everybody can go about their business, which is the best thing that could happen. But it's like they all of their wins, Michigan dominated every single one of those five, like 96 percent win rate or better in all five of those wins. But the five there's not wins. a lot of. There's not a lot of meat on the bones in the, on those five teams, though. Like, Maryland was good. Sure. Maryland. I guess Iowa, Iowa I, I does like have Maryland. a good defense. I will say Iowa has a good defense. So, we'll... But who is who is Penn State beat? Okay? It was... They had a 51% win expectancy against Purdue in game one. Purdue probably should have won that game, in my opinion. You know? It was, it was a coin flip. They probably yep. should have. All right? And they beat Brian Harson's Auburn team that is in disarray. We've... Yeah. I mean... We've seen what they are. They, yeah, I, I mean, that, I, I can't really give them that much respect out of that win. And then, you know, like, so we don't, even though they haven't had the most intimidating schedule that they've had to overcome, they're ranked 52nd against the pass offensively. 
They're ranked 35th in the rush. Singleton and Catron Allen have no doubt helped that with a team that has really had problems running the ball yeah. over the past couple of years. They only they were barely over 100 yards, 108 yards rushing per game last year. 3.2 wow. yards per carry last year. You That's kidding shockingly me? Low. They yeah. were a horrible rushing team. Horrible. But they're re experienced line now. Do they get. Guess what? Nick Singleton coming to town doesn't hurt. No. No, no it does not. Yeah. Catron Allen's a stud too. He's two twenty. Both those guys are studs. So that that'll rejuvenate a, a a listless run game in a hurry. But um, I just don't think again. It comes down to Sean Clifford. Has he been serviceable? Yeah. But against Ohio, against Central Michigan, against Northwestern, come on. You know, I, 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 he hasn't been tested either. So I mean, Michigan is at least they beat Michigan State, which yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. I get it. Yeah. Beat. Well, how how's the Washington win? Yeah, the Washington's not, not looking a whole hell of a lot. Uh, oh, excuse me. They played. They played them last year. Excuse me. Um, yeah, Colorado State, Hawaii, and Connecticut were the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I Charmin Ultra Soft. The Iowa defense, though. The Iowa defense <laughs> has been Maryland then Iowa. Here we're yeah. in the Big Ten. So like, I can give respect to them doing a pretty damn good a job against Iowa's defense. I didn't see them having too much problems. So. I just think it comes down to that. It comes down to Blake Corum being a legitimate pro prospect. Even he's only two two oh five. Like he's yeah, undersized. Another smaller dude. But he runs hard, and they got a Joe Moore caliber offensive line that I just, you know, both of them rebuilt their defenses, both of them, and both of them have done a great job with it. But this is this is a, a, a bunch, a lot of meat, a lot of beef you're throwing at them. With all American caliber guys on their line, number one rated line preseason in the off season. Yeah, May, I, and I think that's like, going to be. If you're going with Joe Moore odds in terms of who's getting which is the best line, it's like they're right there. Yeah. So I just think I just think it's too much, and the spread at six and a half. I mean, obviously, you know that's tight. that's favorite. Yeah, that's a good line. You know, like I think that's a good line. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm staying away in terms of my personal. Proclivities, but it's in Ann Arbor. I do think Michigan will win. So you know, money line. But man, I can't wait to watch it. Oh, it, that that watch. is going to be a beautiful Ooh. opening to a beautiful oh. college football day. Um, oh. The the other game that we got to talk about: Bama and Tennessee. Paint me a picture because we, and you talked about this in your um, article that came out today, which I retweeted. If you haven't read it, absolutely go check it out. It is a, a Eric's. If you want to be ahead on line movements and be ahead in college football and just have a when you tweet player props, I know that I have to bet it almost immediately because the line will either move or disappear entirely, which is how you know you are damn good at what you do. But we, you're, time, yeah. we talked about uh, Tennessee and Alabama in your article today. Tennessee has now gone down to, I think it's seven and a half point dogs. Um, I'm not sure it got to minus seven. How do we feel about this game? Can Hendon, can Hendon Hooker be that guy? Is Bryce, uh, how close, like is Bryce Young playing? Do we know? Do we have any inkling at all? I don't know. He was out throwing passes in the, in the pregame last game and they for whatever reason elected not to throw him out there i mean when you got an, that's like an ac sprain slash you know a separation Ooh, oh that's tough to you can't really you can't really move your shoulder yeah. very much so 
Uh, and it's his thrown shoulder, as we saw. We all saw the play yep. where he's just, God, that's how you get injured? You know, like he's just, he's right there. He's about to hit the ground. He just does the flip. And it's like, yep. oh, I'm just going to roll. That's how you right rolls like up like, on it. Come on, don't do that. Oh, just take the three yards, Bryce. Anyways, uh, it's just painful to watch. But um, that's the difference in this game. You know, right now. Because if you bet this now, where it's at plus seven and a half, you're either going to be getting value or you're going to be losing value. Because when Bryce Young, if he is playing, he goes out and he's announced that he's playing. Because, look, we didn't know this week. He was out there. He tried it out. They, they tried. We got no indication from Saban at all. And why would yep. he do it on Which- the eve of... You probably don't appreciate it in your lifetime, but hey, Tennessee, Alabama used to be a big thing. Yeah, in, uh, hey, feels like '98. Feels <laughs> like '98. Exactly. Here we go. You know, do we have do we have the uh, you know the hat, the Bear Bryant hat going, all that. So um, th- this is a big rivalry. This is a big game. It's in it's in Neyland Stadium. I actually have been to Neyland Stadium. That place is one of the five biggest. Uh, stadiums in the country, you know, it holds like a buck. It, oh, definitely over one. Yeah, like, you know, one hundred six, one hundred eight, something maybe, around there. What the exact attendance is, but it's epic, and it's going to be raw. I'm excited. But oh. that being said, um, I don't know if if Bryce Young is announced. That's I mean, that's everything because we saw last game, and I, I alluded to it a little bit, but they couldn't do anything no. through the air. Against Texas A&M, who had admittedly has a good secondary in their defense, to their credit, but they're rebuilding their whole front line, and it's like they couldn't do anything. They, they one you know slant to Jermaine Burton, that was it. So um, where they couldn't, they they weren't effective moving the ball in both phases of the game. Um, they were turning the ball over. They were like careless, like they aren't going to be able to get away with that against Tennessee. Like, they're not going to have this Jimbo offense like we talked no. about. Josh Heupel, I mean, they're as potent as any team in the country right now uh, when it comes to their offense. And that's without Cedric Tillman, who is a, a day-two caliber NFL draft prospect, who was awesome last season. Ripped up. He was the only guy all season long to tear apart Georgia, where he went for like 11 and 151 or something like that. Like, he, he just put on a clinic. Against the dogs, and he was the only one. Like, and he's he hasn't even been playing. This it doesn't even matter. Next man up, Ramel Keaton has been great on the outside, and you know, obviously Jalen Hyatt. But um, I think, as it stands right now, you got to take Tennessee. I can't. I can't take Alabama with Jalen Milrow there, despite the fact that obviously they have an epic defense. I mean, their defense is as good as you're going to ask for, but. Man, I I want I want it. I want to see it at Neyland Stadium. I, like you said, you want havoc. I want havoc too. And we haven't seen Alabama handle A and M or Texas at all, at very well at all. Well within the the margin we're talking about here. It opened at sixteen not, at sixteen and a half, down to seven and a half. But man, it, it, I, I think I think they do. If Milrow's out there, give me the Tennessee's probably even. Yeah, I probably just call it even if I know it's Milrow. You know what I mean? Whereas if it's Bryce Young, it'd probably be ten and a half. Yeah. You know, Na- so I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with, with Havoc. Nayland's going to be rocking. I am incredibly excited for this game. I think this is two teams. If you were to take the jerseys off, right, put on a blindfold, look at these team blind resume. 
Alabama, admittedly against good teams. Texas is a good team. Um, Texas A&M, they're, they're a good team, but a crappy offense. It is what it is. Tennessee hasn't really struggled this year against anybody. Now, their schedule is not as difficult, but they handled, handled LSU last week. A, a top 25 team and dismantled them. I, I'm excited for Tennessee. If you are a Vols fan, you should. I, I don't know how you're sober this week. I really don't. I had a call off of work uh, right after the game Saturday. Seriously, but oh, it's been so long. It, it should be it's been so long uh, since been in a spot like uh, this, really. Well, and it's a that. rivalry that like I've heard about, it's back. but I haven't yeah. seen it. And it, and it's great to see it this week. It should be absolutely incredible. Um, we were talking quarterbacks, talking Bryce Young, Young, Stroud, Williams. Um, obviously, Williams is not you know from a draft standpoint is not in this class. But if you were a trying to pick a quarterback out of the transfer portal, you know, and you could get him right now midseason, assume Bryce is healthy, who's the best quarterback in college football? Not actually, you know what? Let's leave those guys out. Because those said, are the, besides those guys, those are yeah, obvious. Those, guys those are obvious. Let's leave them out. Outside of those three, who would you want quarterbacking your program? It's so easy. It's so easy because we, we already talked about him. When I'm looking and I'm projecting to the NFL – and I'm projecting to, to all that in terms of like who I'd be looking at from a Debbie perspective, from all that, it is Quinn Ewers. I want Quinn Ewers. After those guys, because like I love Caleb Williams too, and I think yeah. he, he deserves to be right there. The jump like, pass can, that he I, had I against... Make, um, yeah, oh, he's he's great. Phenomenal. Like, in terms of being a, a pure passer, in terms of pure arm talent, Quinn Ewers has got a better arm than... Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams does other things, obviously. Yep. But like, if I'm just looking at, at who's throwing, he might be he might be number one in terms of me projecting to the NFL level for an NFL franchise. Might even be above C.J. Stroud because, wow, um, you know, he might be. He's I, I love him. I think he's that good. He's he's got an arm that you you just can't. There aren't a lot of guys who can just go for and flick their hips, just a different flick and flick his hips. And throw a absolute rope 15-yard field strike on an out. You know, like, it's just out pass. He's got to get all the way out to the sidelines from the other side. And he's just flicking it, and it's getting there. It's getting there fast, and his release is quick. And just everything, everything about his mechanic, it's, it's beautiful watching him throw. So I can't not see it. I can't see the just, he's the closest... Like Trevor Lawrence would would be the guy that I've seen for the past few classes out of everybody here now. That I, I still think Trevor is just beautiful, perfect. But like, he's that kind of a thrower. Like he's that good to me. Quinn Ewers. He his spiral makes me feel things. Like watching him throw a football, it, it's it's painting a picture. It's art on a canvas. It's beautiful. If he perks like all the mobility is great. Look, I get it. I, I love having a, a guy who can be mobile. But oh boy. <laughs> if he yeah. perms his ball, it'd be ridiculous. But yeah, like <laughs> we we get you get guys that like uh, obviously everybody wants a guy who can move because you see what Patrick Mahomes and sure. Josh Allen and those guys have done at the next level. And I, I get it, and it's phenomenal. Quinn Ewers can still move well, yeah. but the way he throws a football is just special. It's just special. absolutely. Just all right. like Quinn Ewers more than Caleb Williams isn't a knock on Caleb Williams. I've got him all over the place in all my like my leagues, my college fantasy leagues. I drafted him last year. I love Caleb Williams, but I mean, look, I'm just hey, 
having one guy be great does not mean him. another guy can also yeah. not be great. That that it you is do anything wrong. <laughs> I, I think we do that too much in this industry a little bit. Is we we pump up one guy, and in order to do that, we try to push down another. It's not not how that works. Both guys can be absolutely phenomenal. Um, before we get out of here, Eric, I need to know. This is purely selfishly for me. Anybody who's listening to the podcast, if you want to, if you want to shut her down, that's fine. But this question, this one's for me. Your player props are, I, I, they're candy. They are the most beautiful thing to cross my eyes each and every week when it comes to college football. I don't understand how you do it, and I want to know how do you. What is your process to finding and exploiting these books? Because I, Vegas has built some of the most beautiful buildings on the planet. But it ain't because they're taking money from you. How do you do it? No, they don't take my money. But um, you know what it is? is uh, Malcolm Gladwell, renowned, obviously worldwide uh, best-selling author, talks about it in a couple of his books like outliers and then you know things like that where how do you get to be uh, an expert at something or how do you get to be just really good at something and be able to what's called thin slice and just see something and just know you know um, and just having seen and you go you put through the hours well uh, I'm in a kind of a unique position where I put in my 10,000 hours by doing college fantasy football starting in 2001 when I acquired the immortal Luke Staley. The immortal Luke Staley from BYU. That's incredible. The icon, the great Luke Staley, who was an All-American running back. Uh, He won me my first ever college fantasy football championship, almost single-handedly. He's 235, 6'2", and he ran a 4'4". In 2001, Ooh, okay, he got different. drafted in the seventh round by the the Detroit Lions, but he had chronic shoulder issues. There's actually a great article that was written that I, I read a couple years ago about him, where he talks about how like he, he never played in the NFL. His shoulders, he just couldn't. He was getting he was getting you know lidocaine shots every game. Like Ooh. this is the wild west of college yeah. football. You <laughs> no know what I mean? This that, is like the North I, Dallas 40 of college football era. Where it was just, ah, there you go, light, okay. All right, there we go. Yeah, just... So um, he, he got, his shoulders now are, are in horrible shape. But anyways, that's where I started sort of just capping players and performance and going through that. And just through 22 years of doing that by hand and then, you know, U Sports and CBS for a minute and, you know, finally fan tracks, um, I was doing this every week anyways for 20 years. So it's kind of... Having seen the systems and the coaching movement and being so as immersed into what college football is as I am anyways, I have a pretty good understanding of the structures and the dynamics and which teams are doing which and who's where. Um, so given that I, I have a pretty good understanding of all those you know factors, it kind of just gets thrown in a little stew and I just kind of go through that and, and just try to hit as many angles that I possibly can before I, I make a look. And go from there. But I will say that doesn't really help you uh, in that trend <laughs> of what I do. But what I will say, some things that I look for that at least can make it easier for people listening to because it's a little more complicated than this. Um, I like looking at shared backfields, shared jobs. It doesn't work as much with receivers because 
receiver just in general, if you see a low receiver line at 40 yards, I'm always going to be checking on those because there's so much variance in the a team's two, three, four receivers in terms of their target distribution on a week-to-week basis in general, that those are generally very profitable spots because game flow can completely dictate out of it. How is the other team when it comes to their particular, uh, you know, pass defense, rush defense, whatever it might be. But I'll look at players like uh, a good example is last week was Hassan Hall for Georgia Tech. Now, uh, as we just briefly touched on, Jeff Collins had vomited all over that program in their <laughs> transition from the option to a more pro-style offense. That's what he wants to call it. You can call that whatever you want. Right? Pro-style anything. That's yeah. garbage. But anyways, he, he was just a, just a terrible fit for that particular program. He had done well in his previous stops, in fairness to the gentleman. But um, the previous week, two weeks ago, they he was gone and it was the current staff that's there that's what they're going forward with on an interim basis until they fill that position likely after the season or whatever have you but they're going with those guys so it's a new regime that was taken over Hassan Hall went out and got 20 carries uh, I faded Dante Smith who was the previous starting running back sort of nominally even though he was in a split he was out there listed at 32 and a half rushing yards I faded him he only got two carries and then um that week, Hassan Hall got 20 carries. He got, I mean, everything but maybe two carries out of the backfield. Yeah, it's a he got of all of them. Exactly, and he went for a buck fifty. And it's like, okay, now they're playing Duke this week, and he's listed at 61 and a half rushing yards. When he got 20 carries this week, last week, it's a new regime. This is the standard going forward. It isn't a soft game. It's a conference game. And this is against a lower division opponent, uh, you know, a lower caliber opponent of defense that's Duke. And it's like, this is what they're going to do. This is, all right, things have changed. The trend, had the, the winds have shifted. This is what's happening. So that was actually my best bet of the week, and it cleared pretty easily because you look at the trends, too. That's, a, that's an important factor of this. Sure, you can go, and when things are settled, they settle. But you look at the trends and, and how it's flowing, and you attack weak lines on unders, and you, you attack recency bias and lack of understanding of depth chart movement on overs, where you have guys that just aren't, you know, that are getting too, not, too many carries to be set low. You go with them, and you play that volume, you know, game. At a very, you know, granular level is what I'd say if you're looking to do that. So play that volume. Love that, Eric. That was an absolute gem. I appreciate that. So two takeaways is uh, all of the stuff that you just said. And then also we need 22 years of experience. I will get to working on it. I, I <laughs> right. will. Just get it to Look, 22 years. Right? I'm getting, I'll work yeah. on it. I'll work on it. We'll get there. But Eric, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really, really, really thank appreciate you, it. Um, at CF Froton on Twitter. I'll throw all of his links in the description of the show, in the description of the YouTube. If you guys want to check his stuff out, I'll link his article that he posted today because it was absolutely incredible. You need to need, and you need to check that out. Eric, thank you so much. And everybody listening, if you like this content and you got something valuable from it, you learned something from Eric, because I know I learned something from Eric, hit that subscribe button and uh, leave a uh, leave your winners in the comments. I want to see what you guys are, t- are tailing in college football oh, this yeah. weekend. I absolutely appreciate it, and we'll see you in the next one.